You good to go? Yes. I could All right. Hello. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we're rolling. That's great. So hello, everybody. Welcome to the Talk to Danielle podcast. I am your host, Danielle C. Baker. And before we get uh, started on the topic, I'm just going to say, make sure to like, subscribe or follow whichever uh, platform you're on right now, so that you can get access to all of the upcoming episodes and access to the previous episodes. Today, we are talking to Srota Aglago. And again, I I talked to Srota earlier to say, I worked all week in French. So uh, this, this podcast may be interesting because I'll be stumbling over my words all day. But Srota is, uh, I, I like to say, she's a very good friend of mine. We share a lot of the same interests, a lot of the same passion. And we kind of have the same life uh, philosophies. I think we share a lot of it, even though we, we haven't officially met in person. And uh, we're coming up. It does, yeah. And it, today we're going to be talking about the silent struggle, struggles of a teenager. We know very well that teenagers stop talking <laughs> when they reach those wonderful years. And uh, there is uh, quite a bit of concern right now with the mental health awareness, mental, uh, well-being. And of course, there are more and more uh, suicidal cases or tendencies. So uh, Srota will, will share her, her wisdom and her knowledge on that. So thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight. I really appreciate you coming, Anna. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, it's an honor to be here for one thing. And of course, to discuss such a difficult topic um, where um, society in general, I think people like to pretend like it's not happening and act like every teenager is just having a great old time and jumping around, (laughs) loving the music and just dancing and great. Yeah. Yeah. But the case, they're hiding it. Yeah. They're hiding it. There's a lot going on. And I'm one of those people that would advocate for teens and youth always and children in general because I recognize that they're overlooked. (laughs) They're overlooked and just say, oh, you know, you got no problems. All you have to do is just do your schoolwork. Mm -hmm. and worry about grades and that's it and i'm like that is far from the truth yeah there's a lot going on and when i tell parents and adults please cut them some slack they think oh well this generation they think everything should be handed to them well i Mm -hmm. remember my generation we didn't have as much information. We were not inundated with so much information on a daily seconds. We didn't yeah. have to. so I can I gotta tell you I had anxiety growing up but it wasn't to this extent what these kids are dealing with. Yeah you're absolutely right. There's a lot and and we expect them to behave like grown-ups but the, they don't have that ability yet they're still discovering themselves still discovering the world and like you said we just kind of brushed them off to say oh come on get over it or grow up or you know so you're just giving me a hard time that they're really just trying to reach out before we dive right right into all of this uh could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got here my goodness um it's a long story but i'll do my best to cut it short I was one of those strange teens because 
I don't know if I mentioned it to you, I didn't know how to read, write, or speak English until I was 15. Actually, no. At 15, I couldn't read, write, and speak. It took me a year. My dad brought me to Canada, to Saskatchewan, Regina, Saskatchewan. Americans call it Regina, but <laughs> Canadians call it Regina. <laughs> Regina, yes. Yes. So... For that reason, when he brought me in, uh, I remember everybody was telling him, give up on her because, quote unquote, she's a girl. Let her learn how to sew or do hair. Because if you waste money, that's what the words were. If you waste money on her, she's just going to become somebody's housewife and it'll be a waste of your money. (laughs) And so my dad was like, but she's still my child, though. I have to educate her. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, and my dad's nickname is Sugar. So they were like, Sugar, just let her be. She's a girl. Don't waste your time. That's what. That's nonsense. She's going to become a good housewife. Just let her be. And he kept insisting. He said, you know what? I remember when she was five years old, when she would go to school and preschool or, or grade school and come home, she would recite everything she learned that day. She wouldn't stop. So I think there's something that she's smart enough to learn a thing or two. And they were like, well, one of my dad's brother said, oh, no, she's too dumb. She, her brain is too um, cold. Even the water in a cooler is warmer than her brain. So she's just too stupid. Wow. And my dad was like, well, I spoke to my daughter. And I asked her, if I take her to Canada, would she learn? And she said, yes, she would learn. And as far as I'm concerned, her word is enough for me. And I will take her. And of course, everybody goes, well, she's just fooling. She just wants to go to Canada. Needless to say, I I got to Saskatchewan and... They put me in a, in the beginning, they put me in a French school, French emerging school. And I was having a lot of difficulty, um, angry. And I wanted to fight the kids because they would make fun of me because I couldn't understand. And here's a little joke. Um, one time I was so frustrated. So I'm speaking all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm not even understanding what I'm saying, but I'm speaking my language and speaking another language and I'm speaking because I have, a, I know how to speak other languages that are from Ghana. So <laughs> I started speaking and messing. So then they're like, whoa, 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 calm down. Well, here's the thing. I don't understand calm down. To me, I meant calm down. So I started going, literally lowering my body down <laughs> because I couldn't understand the words they were speaking to me. Mm -hmm. And then, so that was, that particular day was very difficult. And then lunchtime came, I was angry as it was already. I went to the convenience store and I bought, I remember I went to buy a loaf of bread and then a gentleman, the guy behind the counter told me that I needed a nickel more. Well, I didn't understand what nickel meant. And he insisted. A nickel. So this is what I've learned for people. When they think you don't understand a language, they assume you're stupid or you're deaf, or maybe you just can't hear loud enough. So they need to speak louder. And yell at you. So he's doing all of that. I'm mortified. So now I'm standing there crying. And a gentleman comes over 
right from behind me and started yelling at him and then said, stop it. You know, she doesn't understand. Why would you do this to her? And he threw the money at him and said, here's your nickel. And then so I'm just, you know, bowing and saying, thank you so much. Thank you. And then I'm crying. He said, it's okay. Bye bye. And I left that night. I was so angry and I wanted to just do some. I didn't even know what I was doing. I took my backpack and I started walking. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness my dad got home and started searching for me. I was running away from home. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I belong. I didn't feel like I was where I was supposed to be. I felt alone, lost angry and I wanted to lash out, but I didn't know who. So I said, you know, I'm just going to leave, but leave to where this is October. In yeah. Saskatchewan. That's what I was going to say. Saskatchewan, if nobody knows what it is, it's just a flat piece of land that goes on forever. Yes. <laughs> see Sproda walk away for hours. We would still see her in the horizon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm walking and then he's like, where are you going? I'm like, getting away from here. Because he got on me, he couldn't find me. So he got in his car and he started driving to find me. And he saw me on the sidewalk walking. Thank goodness he brought his car next to me and started, so I rolled the window down and said, come on, get in. I'm like, no. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, um, I bit more than I could chew. I don't want to be here. Why did you bring me here? Why did you even sell me such pipe dreams that I could learn? This thing's so hard. I'm so stupid. Why would you even try? Why would you even, would you even believe me? Why would you sell me lies that I could do all these things? You should have just left me where I was. And he said, no. And I said, why did you do this? Why did you put me in this thing? Did you just want to mock me? He said, you're my daughter. I just want the best for you. And I was so angry. And, and meanwhile, I'm cold because I have a spring jacket on. I have no clue what is happening. <laughs> so yeah. I put my hands in my pocket and I'm still walking. <laughs> and I'm going like that. Because <laughs> it's cold. No hat. No, <laughs> no rose. The nose starts running and that's normal. But if you don't know, you don't know. You don't you're just, know. You're just, and it's my first year. Yeah. <laughs> so right then, he's like, okay, I'll tell you what, it's pretty cold. Why don't you sit in a car and warm up? And I was like, no, you're going to trick me. And he said, huh, what am I going to trick you for? And I was like, you, you're going to trick me. And he said, well, tell you what, I promise you. Sit down, warm up. And when you're warm, you tell me exactly where you're going. I will take you and drop you off. I don't know. <laughs> so I couldn't speak. And he's like, oh, tell me, I'll take you. And I was very confused. And then I started venting. And he sat quietly and just listened and watched me vent I was angry and everything I thought I knew that I was angry about. He started telling me, actually, it's not true. I really wanted you and I still Mm -hmm. love you and you're my child. I didn't abandon you. I left you in the care of somebody I care about. And unfortunately, you were left and, and I sent a lot of money for you to get educated. It never went to you. 
So I didn't abandon you. I didn't mm-hmm. leave. I love you and I want you. You're mine. And right then, I don't know what happened. My shoulders dropped. So I just started crying. And he helped me. Didn't say a word. Then he turned the car around. He didn't say a word. We got home. He parked and just wanted me to just do what I wanted. And we sat in a car. Then I asked him, aren't you getting out of the car? He said, oh, do you want to come home? Oh, wow. Then I was like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go. I've already talked to somebody. We're going to take you out of that school and put you in an English immersion school where Mm -hmm. they have ESL and you'll be able to get what you need. I promise you, you will speak English. I got there and within, by the next year, this was happening in 1984, uh, in the fall of 1984. And then by spring 1985, I graduated with a class and went into high school. Mm. And the the teacher, I remember my math teacher and the English teacher, they were saying, you are our best students. And I didn't understand it because I looked at them and I thought, what do you mean I'm your best students? And they said, Stroda, you came here, you couldn't read and write, and here you are competing with the rest of your class. Mm-hmm. And then the teacher took out the math book the first week and showed me, he said, that was you. And he had to put two plus and then left a blank. And then, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) He put um, uh, the the square and it equals five. And and I had to fill in the blank. That was Mm -hmm. the level I started at. Then he took out the English paper and showed me. He said, we had to write cat and they wrote C and then left the A blank. And I had to choose from a bunch of uh, letters and <laughs> let them know which one was the best one. And to my surprise, I recognized something. That's when I was like, that was me. So it's almost like I had a complete transformation from that right. to this person. And I couldn't believe that was me. It's almost like I completely forgot who that was. <laughs> and became this. So needless to say, that was the long part, the shorter version. After that, I managed to go through, I got through high school. And then in high school, I had this brainiac idea to tell my dad that I wanted to go to Ghana to go and experience education there. Even though I lived there until 15, I felt like I was, uh, based on the amount of trauma and the difficulty I was going through, I couldn't learn, even though I would go to school, but I was not present. My mind was not present. So I wasn't absorbing anything. And even the schools that they sent me to, it was the you know bottom of the pile. So mm-hmm. I didn't learn anything, even though yes, money was being sent, but I couldn't go into any of the private schools. So I just, and so the stress of what was going on with my life, I just stayed there and went home and it's almost like, and I, it's almost like I had a complete different life. 
So I said, I wanted to go back. So I went back there. My dad was frightened, like, oh my gosh. And I was like, dad, things are going to be different this time. I have a bank account. You, you told me I should open a bank account. So I'm going to open a bank account. You will send me money directly. So if I need books or school fees and everything, I'm paying because you send me the money. There's no intermediary. It goes straight to the school to me. So once I came, did that and came back to here, I went back and finished the 12th grade. So I, I was really delayed. Then from there, I went to UFR, got my undergrad in psychology and, and uh, minor in sociology. From then on, I traveled to the state because I got married and then um, family took over. Then um, I decided, okay, I wanted to go back to school and do what I meant to do in the first place, to be a therapist. Because I spoke to my dad, apparently I was 16 when I told him that I was going to do something like that. And they were like, they didn't know what that meant. I didn't even know what I meant. I just spoke. And to find out that I started doing that. And now I work as a therapist and, um, and a counselor and a life coach. That's amazing. That's an incredible story. And uh, I got a lot more information from because I know I knew bits of your story, but that is incredible. And then you did go through all of this, um, came, came out of that. And you touch on a, some important points there as a teenager where you just, it's too much. You don't know how to process it. You don't know what to do. You don't know where you're going. Yes. You don't understand what's happening on the inside. You don't understand what's happening on the outside. And that is the reality of our teenagers yes. and they're hiding it. They're keeping it in silence. And so if they do get emotional and moody and all of that is, is there's a lot going on there. And uh, many parents, um, are overwhelmed with this or they get caught up in their emotional state as well. And so it just kind of piles on. Uh, so I know we've, we've talked about this before, but um, why would it be important for a parent to say, okay, maybe we should seek outside help. I, I can't seem to be able to get to the bottom of things. Let's go get, you know, check with a therapist, a counselor. There, there are life coaches for teenagers that are available now as well, which is wonderful. But uh, what would your advice be to that? Why would it be important to seek out a third party to try to get to the bottom of things? I think the most important thing is recognizing the fact that you are overwhelmed as an adult and as a parent. Be vulnerable to yourself and to the situation and admit that. That's the most important thing. Because sometimes our ego can block us from getting access to help information that's out there, and above all, the healing that both the child and the family needs to have. You are saying that, you know, parents get overwhelmed. One of the things I believe, and I'm sure others who eventually figure this out, I'm sure the others have, I just haven't talked to them yet. But <laughs> when a parent is seeing a child do something and it bothers them that much, and is causing triggers, there's something about that. That means when you are at that age, something was happening. That's why you're able to recognize this in this child and it bothered you just much. Instead of recognizing it and, and find out, hey, there are some emotional regulations that I didn't engage in. And now the child is exhibiting it. I'm finding it's a nuisance because I recognize myself in that. And they want to pull away. So when st things start happening like that, 
Be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Take the ego out of the way. Ask help. And I always say our children are one of our best parenting teachers. A child will tell you what they need. Sometimes may not, they may not be able to use their words. But if you listen carefully and watch carefully and become in tune, you'll be able to follow that dance <laughs> and go back and forth and then be like, oh, okay. Okay, we can, let's go and talk to, talk to someone. But don't just send the child and say, you know what? Here's my child. Fix them. Something's wrong with them. Anytime parent comes to me, I'm like, wait a minute. You've had this child for how many years? And now you're coming to me and saying I should fix them. I don't fix anything. Both of you are going to have to work on this. And I'm sorry, especially when a child is exhibiting something, I always tell the kids, you are the strongest one in the home because there's a dysfunction. And everybody is refusing or scared to speak. You are the one that is saying, I'm going to speak up. So when a child is acting up, look to self. Start there. Then start going with family therapy, family counseling, family coaching. When that starts happening, then you start having the child seen alone because that child will feel comfortable and begin to model what the parents are doing, that they're capable of opening their emotions. I can do so too. That's great. And it's a great process to, to kind of break that cycle because like you said, it's something that the parents have not addressed themselves, that they're trying to tuck away. And that child, that dysfunction is a superpower. It's their superpower. Yeah. That's how you can heal. And it's wonderful. And there's a lot of parents because now we've, we're, we're building up to this, you know, this, the concerns with suicide. Um, what would be, um, when would you say it's, time because a lot of parents are not sure is it just because they want attention are they serious you know you can start seeing the signs that if you're paying attention like you say because teenagers are silent so you have to pick up on the nonverbal and uh, the body language and everything and the grunts and all of that that's a way to communicate when would you say it's time to actually seek help what would be the signs that uh it's it's we need to it's not just attention before something happens and we regret not doing anything beforehand, what could, uh, what could the signs be? Well, the first sign uh, I think is the most glaring one, self-isolation. Yeah. The self-isolation and not wanting to communicate with the rest of the family and just want to be in their room alone. And then the next one is the explosion. Simple things come up and they explode in in rage, in anger. Mm-hmm. And then the parents are at loss or like, and then a lot of them say, well, they're just moody. Yes, but not every day. Right. So that should give you a clue. Diet changes. And sometimes even clothing. They are tired start to change. There's no difference, like maybe some girls may be growing up and then they may want to wear a little more provocative clothes. I'm not talking about that type. 
because that's a, um, a rite of passage. They're growing and they're curious about their body. And then boys may do so too. And they may start wanting, oh yeah, you know, and start wanting to groom themselves a little different. I'm not talking about that guy. That's a, those are within the normal type of developmental markers for children and for teens and, and uh, um, youth. However, when girls want to start covering up don't, and they don't want to be seen, start having severe anxiety. Sometimes the simplest thing is when they have family over that they've known, they've talked to, the people come and then they don't even know how to express themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't want to make eye contact. All these are telltale signs. And of course, you will notice they're covering up, even their wrists is constantly covered up. Mm-hmm. Science thinks are not going right. Something is going on. Start seeking help then. Start asking questions. And then asking questions, it's not about sitting face-to-face with the child. So tell me what's going on with you. I promise you they will not speak. 10 chances out of 10, they don't speak. But take them to the baseball park. If it's a boy or girl, nowadays girl play baseball. Anybody plays baseball. <laughs> Start throwing the ball around. The chip comes down a little bit because now they see that you're willing to spend time with me. I'm not a nuisance. Because these are the dialogues you're having in your head. When you give them that chance, they start coming around and be like, you know, sometimes it's hard to do certain things. Like what? Mm-hmm. Open the dialogue. And those are the signs you start noticing. So once things start happening that way, ask. Um, some of the things I also always advocate for families, do family cooking. In the yes. beginning, they start getting angry with you. Well, why should I? Well, we're family. Let's do it. That's why it's nice to start it young. Bring those little benches and let the child stand on, on it and then get them a little tray. Get them the placemat or the chopping board. Give them the, the knife, the usual knife that you eat, the table knife, nothing sharp, and say, cut up some onions for me. And they're like, it's, it hurts. Well, do some red peppers, green peppers. Yeah. So now when they're a teen and you ask, it's not so, so foreign. And you have to try and access that. So the moment you start seeing all these signs of a child wanting to be alone, wanting to separate themselves from everybody, because with that separation, they start feeling that they're not part of the family. They feel strange. They don't belong because these are thoughts that are going in your mind. And then the next thing is nobody loves me. By the time you know the next thing, they will start saying, they will even miss me if I'm not here. Mm. That's when you know. But the fact that they won't say it, but something will happen and be like, we are going somewhere. Come on, let's go. Now, they don't even want me there anyways. You would think it was just a child being rude. No. These are thoughts in their head. They're letting you know, but they won't tell you. I'll give you, for example, I had a, a client a long time ago. 
said she was being bullied at school and she was really angry about it. And I said, what were the bullying about? She said, you know, she started growing quicker than most other classes developmental wise. Her body was changing faster than the rest of the kids. So when things were happening, especially when her menses started, the teacher lied and said, oh, she was sick. Every time she's sick and sent her to the nurse's office. So the kids all started ostracizing this child and bullying her. So then she self-isolated at school, comes home, self-isolate. Instead of speaking to the parents, she doesn't speak to the parent, but rather was saying they're the adult. <laughs> and when the parents do ask, what's going on? You know, do you need some help? What's going on? The child wouldn't speak. And then she said, I wouldn't speak to them because I felt they're my parents. They should try harder. A teen would test you. Yes. Right. They'll test your nerves. They'll test your patience. And I was like, what? She said, yes. So I felt like I built a little cage and I was in there by myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why my parents didn't come for me. And I said, but they did ask you what was wrong, but they should have tried harder. Yeah. This is news for parents. If your teen is pushing you away, they're not pushing you away because they just want to. In the words of my niece, she said, I'm supposed to oppose you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my well, job as a teen. What are you going to do about it? So you throwing your hands in the air is telling that child, you don't have what it takes. Yeah. So it's the perseverance of the parents to keep pushing. It's better to push and push and push and they'll say you're overbearing than not to push at all because then that child starts, it perpetuates the idea that they're, 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 the lies you're hearing in their ear that you don't want them. You, 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 you won't even miss them. All right. So that definitely is important for parents to understand. Watch the sign and start doing something. And it's important to get that message that yes, they're testing you, but you, it's also that you're basically the only person they, they can turn and, and kind of vent and and they want to see the testing to see if you really do care. So if yeah. you just give up after asking, we ask and they won't answer. So we'll want to respect their space because they're, you know, becoming adults, but it is necessary. And I like what you said that, you know, it's better to keep pushing uh, and they tell us to step off than to not do anything. And then something happens and you'll, you'll just won't forgive yourself for it. You know? um, we're all about um, what I like to do is talk about, you know, everything that we go through, we often feel like we're the only ones. So parents will think that they have the only difficult teenager, yes. uh, you know, or that, you know, they're, they're struggling. They're the only ones struggling. Nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, and, you know, so, or they make light of it. And so if, can you share it without going, getting into too much details, of course, but just to kind of show parents who are listening that they are not the only ones going through this. This is, these are common incidents or issues of what kind of, uh, kind of cases, you know, what, what are the teenagers that, that are coming to you? What are they struggling with? What are they facing uh, that when they come to you? A lot of the stuff they're struggling with 
is being liked, being loved, acceptance. Yeah. That drive to want to be accepted in the social norm is huge. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they want to, indiv- they, they want to become an, indiv- an individual, but they still want to be, for lack of a better word, normal in quotation marks because they don't want people looking at them. And that's the other thing. In the moment your child doesn't want to be looked at, it's also another sign. <laughs> the moment your child starts wanting, no, I just want to be the wildflower. I don't want you just anyone to notice me. Something is wrong. Their self-esteem is down. They don't feel they belong. <laughs> and then Every team struggles with their body. For the longest time, I thought it was only girls. No, it's, it's boys too. Both genders are struggling. They're struggling to f- figure out their body. It's a normal thing. When you go to Erickson's stages of development, it's a normal thing for them to question and they start wanting to know. And I think parents need to be open for that, for the discussion. Don't shun them. Because if you do, the person they'll go to to get the answers you're not gonna like. (laughs) Yeah. And teenagers struggle reaching their parents because parents get too busy and they think they should handle it, they're big enough now. But honestly, they need their parents. I used to think children need their parents the most when they are young, like when they can't fend for themselves. No, when they can fend for themselves, they need them even more because now the questions and the stuff that they are facing are bigger. That's right. And they don't know what to do with it. They don't understand what is happening. So they need access to an adult they can go to that they can trust. And then I hear this so often, don't trust teenagers. Let me explain something to, to you. Teenagers don't trust adults either. Mm-hmm. So we are sitting around and say, oh, don't trust a teen, don't trust a teen. They would... Do you think they trust you? No, they don't. So we have to turn the table. You want us to trust? You want us to trust them and, and then they trust us? We have to show them. by being trustworthy and then showing them that we trust them then they return a favor it's amazing how much children teens respect that yeah that's true they just struggle with the most and then when that happens they turn around and internalize these negative thoughts hence the suicidal ideation starts and then self-harm. Almost all my clients, I make sure I check their arms mm. because these are serious things. And one of the things I think parents need to also understand, there are a lot of things on social media that teaches children how to do it. Yeah, that's true. It's very alarming. So we need to learn where they're going, what they're watching. And who is telling them what they're telling them? 
<laughs> yeah, because if they're not coming to you, they are going to someone. So you want to make sure that they're going to the right people. It becomes a mentorship almost. Uh, I remember my son, who's 22, we were just actually talking about this this week, and he had mentioned, um, says, you know, I remember when I was younger and I just couldn't wait till I was an adult so that I could be free to do what I wanted because I realized now he's 22 he's still you know a young adult says but now I wish I could go back because (laughs) (laughs) I wish I didn't realize that I could be free to do what I wanted but I wouldn't have the privileges of the child (laughs) so now I'm on my own and so you're right they need that It's, it's like teaching them to walk just on a different level they need to have that support and that encouragement and that safe place they can go to yeah um You've mentioned a lot, actually, those are right now. I know people are taking notes of this, but if they get to the point where they're really concerned, a lot of parents don't know where to look for help. So would you be able to maybe help us with that as well? Who, who should they call? Who do they go, they go to well, first? Um, in Virginia, where I live, um, we have something called the CS Board. It's a community service board. And they have access to crisis management, and so that's, you know, when they call the crisis manager, they'll be able to get information. They start getting them in contact with the a crisis management counselor who will come to the home and do an assessment. And that person will see the child for sometimes six weeks or two yeah. months before they transition them to the therapist. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of... Um, suicide um, assistance sites that they can go to. They're all online. Now, um, I know in Canada, they also have some because I know my sibling in Toronto is currently volunteering for uh, a teen suicide line. Mm-hmm. They exist. So they can go online and look for that. Contact them and say, hey, now I'm concerned. I would like someone to see my child. And that's the, the beginning then they put them to therapists. And then they start looking into things like, if the therapist that the the child is going to, is used to treating the client or her her clients holistically, then we start looking at nutrition. We start looking at um, what community services that are available for the child to be involved in. We start looking at um, what kind of uh, religious or higher power, practices that the child could get into. We start implementing things like yoga. We start implementing things like meditation. Get the child involved actively in their own lives. Yes. And then learning that what they're seeing presently is not the end. Mm -hmm. I always understand this, that uh, nothing is permanent. The one thing we have in this world is change. That mm-hmm. is constant. We will. We are guaranteed to see this. Nothing stays the same. <clears throat> Everything changes, and because of that, teens can access all these programs, but they can't go there because they don't even know. Neither do the parents. So somebody, the parents, have to take a proactive approach, mm-hmm. and starts looking online for these things. Crisis management is the first place. Teen hotlines, teen uh, suicide hotline, 
looks to the um, what social services have available for teens. You'll be surprised all the programs they have for them to assist them. They have mentorship programs. They have parent coaching. I've done that. I've done the quarter points of parent coaching because of what is happening in the home and the team. So there's a lot available for families, but they don't access it because they don't even know. And a lot of family things, it's all on them. No, you live in a community. There are services around. Go for that. Go online, go to crisis management, and you would see so many information. And they can access that, contact them, and then ask questions. If they have a primary care physician they trust, they can ask them and they will start the paperwork for them. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. will get things going for them. Yeah. And for some parents that think that they may be, you know, disturbing the community for something that may not be that serious, if it ends up not being so serious, uh, still do it. Worst yeah. thing, they will refer you to activities. Because I, what I like, what I like what you said is get the teenager and actively involved in their life we need to hold them accountable so that they don't fall into that victim mentality of oh nobody loves me i'm i'm not worth anything nobody will even notice if i'm gone um we do need to to move them away and if they are actively involved in something that they enjoy Mm -hmm. that kind of dissipates because now they're actually looking forward to something Uh, so try if you're not sure ask seek the help if anything, you're still your child is going to see that you care, and that yes. that's going to make that's going to get things rolling as well. So it's also very important to get the yes. children actively involved in that. And um, let's see, this is a question I always ask. Because I could tell we, we could talk about this all, for a very long time. I, yes. I hope that the listeners are getting quite a few notes at least to know where to get started and just to start the you know paying attention to those signs and and knowing exactly where to look for help um and i appreciate you so much for coming on for that it's, it's great i always leave i always end i always end the interviews with the one question for the guests and that is what do you want to be when you grow up and that's a, a question i ask everybody <laughs> you know, the strangest thing when i saw the when i i came up upon this question i, I was laughing <laughs> I started laughing because my niece, 11 years old, came to me and she said, Auntie, I'm going to ask you a question. And I was like, what is it? She said, when you grow up, what do you want to be? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, nobody has ever asked me that question. But I actually have a list. She's like, what? <laughs> I love it. You have a list? And I was like, yeah, I have a list of things I want to do when I grow up. And she's like, you're the only adult that gets this question. Any <laughs> adult I ask, they go, I'm already grown up. <laughs> I'm already doing it. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and I said, well, number one, I, I want to travel. That's mm-hmm. one thing. There are countries that I want to see. I've got them on my list. I've got 180 of them, okay? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. You're going to be, li- you're going to live for a very long time. <laughs> yes, and then, thank you. And then I want to um, eventually get my memoir out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
still working on it. I thought I was going to be done, but I'm still working on it. Get my memoir out, have it published, uh, write more children's book. And then I also want to do, now you may think this is, a, this is funny, but I need to learn to, I want to learn how to ride a bike. Oh, and wow. I want to learn how to swim because I don't know. Those two things are very important to me. And I want to, because I want to get over my fear and just do them. So those are the things I want to do when I grow up. And That's just amazing. The life, because like I said, I, I believe I came to this planet Earth to learn, guide, <laughs> and experience, and be a part of it all. And I'm very excited about life. And that's the way it should be. You did say the one constant thing about life is it's constantly changing. So we need to have these goals. And it's funny that you talked you talked about your niece because the reason why I asked is I was interviewed by a nine-year-old a few years back. <laughs> and she was she was asking because every adult asked a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? So that was part of her interview. And none of the adults were, they were just saying, but I'm already grown. I, I'm already doing it. And she would get frustrated and her mom would say, to stop asking if you're if it's so frustrating and when she asked me I told her and she just lit up and she turned to her mom and she said you see I told you someone would get it yes <laughs> we do exist we do we get, get it. it we do we have there are adults out there who get it and that's why yeah. I told her I promised I promised her I would always ask that question to adults so I'm I'm really glad yeah. that you played along question because yeah. we should always keep dreaming why should we stop dreaming just because my niece will say, Auntie, you're old. Now it's like, you know what? But I'll never stop dreaming. That's right. That's right. That's all. It's, it's so easy to dream and to, to give ourselves new challenges and it gives us something to look forward to. So that's the message we're sending across. Now, you did mention you write children's books. You have your own podcast as well. And, uh, you know, for somebody who has been told she would never get it, uh, you're do, you know, you've, you've studied, you have your own podcast, you're writing books. So good for showing them they were wrong. But how can people reach you? Where can they follow you? Where can they see you in action? Um, well, the podcast is called Love, Forgive, live and so usually it's like when they go on youtube they can find it it's all on audio and so mm -hmm. i'm also on uh, facebook and it's under the same name love forgive live podcast uh, two years ago i used to do like live mm -hmm. just speaking and talking to get myself used to being in front of the camera and also speaking so i started doing that oh speaking of which Knock on wood. We hope one day when I grow up too, I'm adding maybe a TED talk, but maybe a lofty idea, but I am dreaming it. <laughs> and That's it's one right. of the things on my, my list when I grow up. So That's they amazing. can find all the stuff on Facebook. And my email address is love, L U V, the number four. Give G I V E live L I V E at gmail.com. And it's strange enough, that's the um, it's a very important, these three words are very important to me because I, I had a dream that these are the patterns for mm. humanity for our lives is to 
understand how we can love ourselves, love one another, and forgive one another, forgive ourselves, and live the life you're meant to live, live within the purpose and our calling for what we are as spiritual beings having a human experience and write our stories. So those are the reason why I chose those words as a podcast. That is amazing. Thank you so much. And for our, our audience, I will be adding those com- in the comments or the description of the podcast. You will you will get those uh, ways of reaching Stroda as well. So thank you so much. Like I said, I could thank have you on you. all week. I am honored. I'm so glad we got to connect again. It's kind of back at, you know, so busy, but thank yeah. you. You brought a lot of valuable uh, information for us to, to help our teens because they have a lot to teach us as well. So yes. we need to keep that uh, uh, open. We can't shut it down. So thank yeah. you again. Thank you. And for everybody who's listening, stay safe, stay awesome, and we will talk soon. Thank you very much.